Hey guys, this is Jeff Stanick with Figured Out Baseball. We've got a little bit of a unique Figured Out Baseball podcast today, uh, different than, than any we've ever done before. We are being joined on the program today by Tyler Pill. Tyler is a former major league uh, right-handed pitcher uh, and slash minor league outfielder, and uh, pretty excited to have him on to get a perspective of a guy that's uh, been a high draft pick, gone through the minor leagues, made it to the major leagues, had some ups and downs, and uh, just kind of an interesting perspective. I'll give you a bit of a background on Tyler before we jump into questions with him so you can get to know him a little bit and, and kind of his story, at least on paper. Um, he's a Covina, California native. He went to uh, Cal State Fullerton. Before he went to Fullerton, he was a 38th-round draft pick out of high school by the Colorado Rockies. Uh, once he got to Cal State Fullerton, he uh, immediately you know, jumped on the radar for a lot of teams and, and across the country. He was a freshman All-American as he set the school record, uh, the freshman school record for wins and shutouts. Uh, he was also named the conference co-pitcher of the year as a freshman with a teammate, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, out of Cal State Fullerton, he was a 2011 fourth-round draft pick by the New York Mets. Through the minor league system, uh, in 2016, he was a midseason all-star in the AA Eastern League. He made his major league debut the next year in 2017. Um, Throughout 2017 with the Mets, he made seven appearances through 22 total innings. He got the call on May 26th that he was getting called up for the first time. He was sent back down on June 11th. He was uh, recalled again later in June, was sent down, was recalled later again in July, was sent down, was recalled later again in October, which I'm sure was a roller coaster um, emotionally through that time, and I'm sure we'll get into that with the podcast. That was in 2017. After the 2017 season, Tyler elected free agency. He signed in the offseason with the Diamondbacks. In April of 2018, he was traded to the Dodgers. Um, he was uh, Through 2018, he was on the DL a couple times, ended up spending the entire 2018 season in the minor leagues with the Dodgers. That, that offseason, he elected free agency again, signed the next year with the Rangers as a two-way player, as a right-handed pitcher and an outfielder, which is also something that's really unique and, and uh, maybe becoming a little more popular now. Um, than it was even you know, 10, 15 years ago to have a dual player. Then partway through spring training of 2019, the Rangers uh, converted Tyler to just an outfielder. They wanted him to focus on just being an outfielder. Although toward the end of spring training, uh, he injured his, injured his groin, missed some time there. Once he came back, his second game that he, game, he came back, uh, he got hit in the wrist, broke a bone in his wrist, missed some time again. Uh, once he did come back, he hit 233 in AAA. A uh, guy that had not hit consistently in the minor leagues, thrown at a triple-A, hit 233, pretty respectable, although he was released in July of 2019. Uh, although, uh, if I look back, he is a 301 career minor league hitter in 206 at-bats. Pretty impressive for a guy that doesn't hit very often down there. Uh, and he is currently, Tyler is currently the undergrad assistant back at Cal State Fullerton as he's finishing his degree. Uh, Tyler, I really appreciate you spending some time with us here today in the podcast, and uh, I'm, I'm pretty pumped to kind of get into this stuff with you. Oh, thanks. Thanks for having me. I'm uh, looking forward to this, and uh, hopefully I can you know, give you some, good, some content and some good info. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This kind of stuff is really intriguing to me. Um, 
I'm someone who I read a good bit about, and especially as a coach, read a good bit about the mental game. And I, I can't – it's hard to imagine it, – it's hard to put yourself in the position that you were in, the situation that you were in, just being up and down. And then after you make your major league debut, spending the next year, the, the whole year in the minor leagues, and then the next year being converted to an outfielder. Like there had to just been a lot going on there. Um, let's start out I, – I, there, there are so many things just to get into even from just from your bio, from what I see there. And I'm sure there's a lot more under the surface. But let's just start out uh, in 2017. You started the year – uh, I'm assuming in AAA, I probably should have wrote that down, but I'm assuming you started your in AAA, and you get called up uh, on May 6th. First of all, what was it, or May 26th. First of all, what was it like for you to get the call? How did that happen? Uh, and, you know, what was it like for you once you got that call, that you were going to the big leagues? All right, so this is going to be a little bit longer of an answer to your question probably than you'd think. Um, so I did not start in AAA that year. Um, I started in AA, Binghamton again, so I was, would be in parts of five years for me in uh, the Eastern League, um, which is when I was told that you can imagine uh, in spring training how upset and disappointed I was. Um, and I guess to answer your, the, the, the main answer to your question was it, it made it all feel that much better. Um, started in Double A, um, down in the dumps. Um, they, I, they gave me the first opener of the season, which which was cool, but like I said, being there for five years. Um, and originally in spring training, I had contemplating on um, retiring because of how many years I'd been in AA. Because um, I was at the point where, you know, I'm, I'm married, I've been married, and she's been waiting on me all these years for playing minor league baseball, not getting paid much. It's kind of like I'm getting older see younger guys coming through and it's at that point where I was willing to decide you know I got to move on and be with my family and start to make money for my family um, so anyway I was contemplating retiring um, break spring training um, actually my the scouting director or player development guy actually told me to prove him wrong that year before we broke um, so we left went to Binghamton to the first game um, and my track record usually was my first outing. I'd give up like six runs in the first couple innings of the year, <laughs> and give my you know first month ERA in like a 12 spot or something. I don't, for whatever reason, whether it be the cold weather or I wasn't throwing well by then, I wasn't locked in. I don't know. For whatever reason, I'd always start the year with a 12 after the first month. <laughs> um, so I'm throwing in New Hampshire. I have bases loaded in the first inning, no outs, and I'm thinking, here we go again. This is going to be a repeat. And I go, I proceed to throw three pitches and give up three missiles, one of the shortstop, one of the second baseman, one of the outfielder. Get out of the inning, no runs. Then throw five innings, no runs, um, and then come back on four days rest because young prospects hurt. I'm like, sure, I'll do it. Throw for uh, throw four days rest. Throw five innings, no runs. Some guy goes down in AAA. I get promoted. Um, throw there. Basically, I think it ended up turning into 33 innings of um, scoreless baseball um, from me to get promoted on yeah, May the 26th. So that in itself was a roller coaster. Um, so the feeling of being told I was going to pitch and throw it. PNC and meet the team there in Pittsburgh was uh, 
was a was a really uh, dream come true, um, even even more than what I had expected to be. Um, I, I still think I was sleeping in the stands during a PCL six-hour game because the score was fourteen to twelve in like the fourth <laughs> inning. You know, those games they go forever. They're football sports games, um, but that feeling was uh, undescribable and um, unimaginable. Who told you? Who was the one that told you you got the call? <laughs> my manager that I've had for years in double-A, um, Pedro Lopez, he called me in and said, hey, um, you've been throwing well, but they just sent their so-and-so down. Um, he's obviously making this up. Because we're going to have to send you back down to Binghamton. I'm sorry. That's brutal. <laughs> and then he lets a couple minutes pass and says, no, kidding, you're going to the other New York. Which are you going to the other New York team, which is actually meeting in Pittsburgh? I was like, thanks, thanks for that. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, hard to imagine that. Uh, you'd think with somebody, somebody with uh, with your background in history, it, 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 he would have done it in a little bit of a nicer way than that. But still, probably pretty amazing. Who was the first person you called after you found out? Uh, my wife, and then my parents. Uh, my wife didn't answer because she was uh, actually in the shower. So my parents got the first news. That's cool. Yeah. Did anybody get to come see you in Pittsburgh? Uh, yes. Uh, my wife and my parents. Uh, my brother couldn't make it, but um, they all saw. Yeah, they all came out to Pittsburgh, saw my debut, which was as a reliever, and then they. Just my wife made it to the New York start, I believe, yes. Against uh, the Brewers. And you, who was your manager that year, did you say? Uh, Pedro Lopez. Pedro Lopez. I believe he's still at the Mets. Okay. It's a pretty cool scenario and, and something I'm sure you'll never forget. But then after you get called up, you you got the call, at least from what I saw, you got the call on May 26th. Yeah, sent back down on June 11th. Recalled later mm-hmm. in June, sent back down. Recalled in July, sent back down, and then recalled in uh, early October as a, as an October. Um, well, what was happening on October? You got called up on, on October 2nd, I saw, or was that just something at the end of the season that was a transaction on paper? Um, that was uh, an injury, probably an injury transaction. They probably retroactive it, gotcha. retroactive the date because I got hurt on my last outing in San Diego. Okay. That's probably something wrong that. So what was it like just for you that season? You got your first call, and then you go back down and get called up and get sent back down. Because it was your first year, was it just – was it not the big of a deal to kind of get sent back down and get called up several times? Or, you know, what was it like just for you mentally to, to have to go through that throughout the year where you're kind of shuttling back and forth? Um, that year, I had a very good um, – outlook on it mentally um and i think falling back to the beginning of the season in spring training i had, i was like whenever i got sat down i reverted back to hey i was going to retire like i told my wife and family i was going to give it a month and see where this season took me and if not if it started off bad or anything went bad i was just going to kind of you know, say hey i got to move on um so i think that whole scenario or that situation kept in perspective so whenever I got ever I got sent down I was like well I could I might just, I could have been not playing right now so I guess that's how I kept a very positive outlook on any situation that was thrown my way 
for that year and any coming year, actually. Did you? I mean, was it the same in 2018? I know you had some injury. You had some injuries. You spent some time on the disabled list, but is that was that kind of the outlook that you tried to keep in 2018 as well? When you you spent the whole year in the minor leagues after being in the big leagues, I can't imagine that that's it's probably. Was it a similar feeling to being sent back down to Double A? Like I've been there, I know I can be there, I know I can compete at that level, you know. But having it, but being in Triple A all year, was it the same sort of feeling as being in Double A, or was that that sort of mentality you had in twenty seventeen, where yeah, I, I could not be pitching at all? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm not gonna lie, it did suck. Um, thinking about the idea of just you know, like being there in the big leagues and then being back in Triple A, and then actually in eighteen, I had one start in Double A because they were shifting the rotation up in AAA. Um, but, yeah, that whole thought process kind of kept me grounded and where I needed to be. And then, like, especially in last year in 19 when I hit and then got hurt both those times, I was like, well, you know, if I <laughs> think back to 17, I, you know, I could just be sitting on the couch and, you know, doing something else. But I've gotten blessed enough to keep playing and to have a, a span of luck to help me continue to play. Now, let's go to 2019. In the offseason between 18 and 19, you signed with the Rangers. Did they originally talk to you? I, I know that you had been um, you've been talked to throughout your career at different times about, about hitting, whether or not it was just – I don't think it was exclusive hitting at that point, but just you, they talked you, – you had the Mets, I, I believe, if I'm not mistaken – Talk to you about taking some more regular bats, maybe in a DH capacity, or maybe it was the Dodgers or one of those teams. I know you've had conversations about that in the minor leagues. Um, what was the conversation like when you signed with the Rangers to be a legitimate two-way player? So the Rangers originally pro- approached me with the idea. Um, I don't know where that idea came from. It might have been from my ex, from my guys I played with last year um, maybe he pitched it because he and he's not he's now coaching with the Rangers so he might have pitched it to one of their scouting um, directors or player development guys and said hey why don't let's try to have him do both he puts up good at bats and has, and has put up good at bats when he's hit as a pitcher so what's the worst that can happen and then I was like yeah, I kind of said let's run with it and see where it goes so then you get into spring training you're you're going into it as a two-way player, and then at some point in spring training, fairly early on, they said, "Hey, what do you think about just giving it a go as an outfielder?" What what was that like for you? I mean, was that was it something you were excited about? Was it was it kind of a blow to you to say like, "Hey, you're not going to pitch anymore," or was it something kind of that was that was new enough that you just you, you you were able to get excited about that? How was that conversation for you personally? That one that one was tough because I knew. If I didn't throw that year, odds are, like, the percentages of me, in my opinion, of throwing the next year, which would be this year, were smaller than if I, you know, had thrown a little bit during that year. So when they said, hey, go full bowler outfielder, I knew it's potentially closing, you know, the the chapter or book on pitching completely. There could have been. Um, So I had to kind of frame that one a little different mentally. I kind of just said, you know, maybe we're opening a new chapter, hitting, from the hitting standpoint, and maybe we'll run with that for a while. Um, but I try to keep things positive. And then I circle back with, hey, could, I'm also just blessed to have this opportunity to be hitting. Um, 
instead of not even being here right now. So I tried to always circle back to the same thought um, to keep me in the positive. It was a little bit strange to me just to look at the timeline of things and see that you had a couple injuries. You also, you know, you, you had never taken more than 20-some at-bats in a season in the minor leagues. You hadn't, you know, seriously worked on it or, or taken, like, serious batting practice since college, and all of a sudden you're in AAA, and, you know, you hit 233, um, you know, with, with respectable numbers all around. And and then we're released in July, and that part was uh, was, you know, all I can do is look at a box score or look at your stat line for the year. But it seemed like, I mean, you're holding your own in AAA for a guy who hadn't hit, you know, you've been you were drafted in 2011, you hadn't really seriously hit since 2011. It's 2019, and you're and you're in AAA. Um, you know, I I know that some things happened. I don't know exactly, uh, you know, what things, but it would have made a lot more sense you know, for you to start at, at maybe high A or, or whatever and kind of work your way up. But, you know, to be thrown into that level of pitching and hit fairly respectably, uh, you know, to be released was a little bit, it was just like the timing of it was, was funny to me being re- released in July. Um, what was that? How, how was that conversation? I mean, what did, the, uh, what, what did the conversation sound like when you were in there and they, and they kind of told you this is, this is it for you? Yeah, I mean, it didn't seem like you got, I guess, as much of a shot as, you know, from the outside, it seems like maybe you should have there. Yeah, I mean, that was, uh, I think, I'd like to think, if I try and break it down, that it was it was because of the you know, the younger prospects. They had a lot of young outfield prospects that were dinged up. So I'd gotten hurt in spring training, and then I came back, like you said, and got hurt again. And during that time, all these young prospects in AAA and AA were getting dinged up and getting sent down to Arizona, where I was, and I was like, oh, man. Maybe I'll get shipped out to Nashville and play there for a little bit and see how it goes, which that ended up happening. Um, and then I actually was hitting closer to 280 with, like, a couple homers. And then, sure enough, you know, the, the younger guys get healthier, and then I start, whether that was the reason or not, I started uh, failing a little more. Um, and then the, there's, like, five, six outfielders or, like, potential outfielders, you know, those infielders that could play outfield too. All those young guys were back healthy, and they pretty much said, hey, we don't have room. We got a lot of guys we want to see. And that's that was pretty much the gist of it, what they told me in that conversation. Do you have any regrets from anything that, that went on at this point? You know, I asked you before the podcast if you plan on playing in 2020, and you said you, you don't. Uh, you're you know, for better or for worse, you're you're not going to try to play this year. Do you have any regrets from how anything happened or how anything transpired? Or if you had to go back and do anything again, uh, would you do anything differently to maybe that you think maybe could have taken your career on a different path? This might sound a little weird, but not throw through as many injuries or pain. And I think that might have potentially helped me you know, go around some injuries that I had through from a throwing perspective and a pitching perspective. I think I tried to suck up a little too much, and it leaked into an injury later on down the line, and I think that potentially could have shortened my throwing career. Yeah. So, so there were times when, 
you had some pain, you decided to throw through it, eventually turned into an injury that, that kept you on the disabled list. What would you have done, just, just kind of gone, and this is something that I think young pitchers need to hear, uh, especially, you know, pitching is a thing that I, I didn't throw after college. I didn't pitch after college, but I know that you listen to pitchers and you listen to guys on MLB Network or whatever, and they just say, like, I never felt good, you know, but there's a difference between, um, I, I guess, you've got to kind of know what level of pain um, that you should pitch through and what you shouldn't. What would you say to a, a guy who is maybe in a similar situation to you as a 25, 26-year-old or even a guy that's in college as far as throwing through pain? Or, or like if you were coaching at that level, what would you encourage guys to do uh, as far as when they pitch and when they said, hey, I, I, need, to, I need to shut it down or, or just skip a start or whatever? Um, honestly, I would say get with your trainer, um, especially if he's a good one. He's not going to throw you under the bus and identify the uh, – the bad spots of pain. Um, know that I mean, not every pain is bad, obviously, but you're, there are certain areas that you shouldn't really be trying to force your way through, and you should get them checked out. And uh, also a big factor is when something does bother you, cut down on the, uh, I guess, what the, not the non-important throws, but the less, just like the, all the, like, picks or, like, those throws, like the picks or the, the PFPs, you know, just cut down as many non-impactful throws. I'm not saying those aren't important, but, like, just try and save your bullets for the mound and the, the, the important part of your pitching, like, performance or, like, uh, what am I trying to say? Just uh, I like, understand the, the, the pitches that, I mean, you've, you've got to, You've got to feel your best when you're on the mound, and if you're not feeling your best on the mound, it's not going to help you to make a bunch of non-essential throws during the week. Yes, don't don't wear your arm out on like a hundred uh, throws and catch play, and then expect to go throw fifty pitch bullpen and expect to feel good. Like cut some throws down, and if there's like PFPs after, make sure you're very aware of what you're doing and not try to throw through anything that's in the bad spots in your shoulder or your elbow. That's, I guess, the main info I'd give to somebody now. now did, you, did you throw through those times because you wanted, you didn't want to miss time on the mound because you, you knew how precious that was? Did you, did you do that because you wanted your coaches to look at you as, you know, a, a bulldog type of guy who's he's going to pitch when he's 100% and he's going to pitch when he's 80% and we can rely on him to be on the mound? I mean, what was the reason that you decided that, to throw through some of those times when you weren't feeling your best? So both of those. You know, the mentality, obviously, in, in a lot of times in college is to throw through it, you know, like, be for the team. Um, you know, like, you've got to compete no matter what. Like, pain is just a barrier you could overcome. Um, and that's, I think that's to an extent. Um, and those were two main reasons why I'd keep throwing. And the other one was, especially in pro ball, was like, what, what good is a hurt player? It's kind of like, oh, you're hurt. What's the point of you? I'm going to forget about you. Like, I never wanted to be not in the talk. So I guess, yeah, if you're throwing through something, um, you might think you're still in the mix when people were talking about, like, promotions or, like, like oh, yeah, he's, he's doing well. He's still throwing instead of he's hurt. He's on the bench. He's out on the sideline. But if you think about it, if I think about it now, it's like, what's the point of throwing with half my effort or half my potential? 
than to sit out and wait to when I'm actually healthy and I could be at full bore. If that makes sense. Yeah. And as coaches, for better or for worse, you and it's not that you're trying to penalize a guy, but when a guy's hurt, you do kind of forget about him. Whether it's college or pro ball, you you know, your your mind is actively thinking about the guys on the field and, and when a guy is not on the field it's just kind of a natural thing that he just doesn't get as much time on your mind as the guy that's on that's on the field. So I think that there's there's something to that, but there's also something to knowing your own body and knowing when it's time uh, to take a step back and, or, or like you said, just to cut down on the non-essential throws during the week if you're tender or you, you feel like you're not bouncing as back, not bouncing back as quickly as you should, um, or not feeling as well as you should. How much of a, tra- a transition was it for you to go from college, where you've got a seven-day schedule, to pro ball where you're on a five-day schedule? Um, I always thought that was probably something that was difficult for a pitcher to kind of get used to, you know, where you've got four days between starts instead of six. But what what was that transition like for you going from college to pro ball? Well, I think that's where, you know, tying into the last question, like you really start to have to determine and realize what throws are important. So, you know, going from seven to five, you're like, okay, well, my bullpen work is most important. My game work's important. What, like my catch play is important. But, like, if you get all those areas and your arm's still hanging a little bit and not bouncing back like it should, that's when you start to figure out what your throwing program needs and what works for your body. I, I guess you, from going from a seven-day rotation or f- to a five-day, like, you really get to figure out what, what works for your body and what you need and as an, as an individual, like, what will take you to the next level. What's life like in the minor leagues? I was just kind of thinking as your answer, as you were talking about that question, thinking about, uh, you know, the training staffs in the minor leagues and, and kind of, you know, how they are compared to, to what you have in college. You know, at, at Cal State Fullerton, you guys are a major baseball program. Um, what's it like going from college to the minor leagues? Did you feel like you uh, had better commodities and, and better help, you know, better better trainers, better this better that better facilities uh or or did it almost get a little bit worse going from a a, a big time college program like that to go into like the low levels of the minor leagues um honestly over time i would say minor league like commodities have improved like massively um but from going to college to pro ball um you have more trainers obviously in spring training um they're they're very good. They're very uh, I'd say they're, yeah. Obviously, they're better in pro ball. Um, they have a lot of people they have to watch over though. So if you don't speak up, then with if something's bothering you, then obviously you're just going to be forgotten in that regard too. So it's they're very busy. I guess that, what I'm trying to say there's they're way more busy than the college um, baseball trainer because here we just have one trainer for baseball. Um, and he was a professional trainer, professional ball trainer. Um, so he's on top of everything, um, player-wise, um, just structurally throwing program. Like he's very, he's very good. Um, and the speaking, speaking about the guy at Fullerton. Yes, sorry. Um, and in pro ball, the higher you go up, all the commodities they get better. All like. The buses you travel in, the AAA you're in, in the plane, obviously. Um, 
the trainers are better, they know more, um, they've just been around, they're more experienced. Um, food's better now with the Dodgers. They're all organic. They're all whole foods. Really? It's crazy. Yeah. We'll go on a road and we're expecting some, like, <laughs> poor spread and out pops whole foods, catered. <laughs> <laughs> you see stuff on, on social media, especially from guys that, you know, guys that, that had played that don't play anymore, just about how, you know, you live on peanut butter and jelly on the road and, you know, throughout the minor leagues and um, just about how the, you know, the bus trips. Like, how much of that stuff is, is was your experience and how much of your experience was that, like, this really isn't so bad as far as travel and food and things like that? So. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So the food, I mean, my first year, my first away series in 2011, the spread was um, one loaf of bread. It was Wonder Bread. One one <laughs> container of fluff, which is like a marshmallow, like a, not liquid form of marshmallow, some like weird. I, uh, yeah, I know you're talking about. Just like <laughs> melted marshmallow in a jar. Um, and then a thing of Pop-Tarts and... What one thing of jelly? I don't even think it was peanut butter. <laughs> it was the most bizarre spread before a game that you're giving professional athletes. So yeah, so when you see guys <laughs> talking about the PB and J diet in the minor leagues, it's it's true. It's exactly what's going on. Um, but now, obviously, it's gotten better, and it differs from each organization. Instead um, of the PB and J diet, we could talk about the the Wonder Bread and, and Marshmallow Fluff diet. <laughs> yeah, or yeah, or the fluff. I think Nutella came the next month. So it was Nutella and fluff. <laughs> that doesn't seem like uh, the best thing to give guys before a game to really get kind of get the energy level up. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, then you got honey. Honey came in high, I think, along with that spread. But, yeah, from performance, what, what, if you're giving professional athletes that type of spread, it's just not not a good combo um there's a lot going on in the news right now if, if you follow baseball news about the minor leagues and about um the potential of cutting a bunch of minor league teams to help with the quality of pay and, and probably the quality of what you're talking about for the minor league teams that do exist um and there's a lot about that in the news and i won't give my opinion on it without being there uh without having experienced things um first talk about Part of what, well, at least the narrative for that is that they want to make the conditions better for minor league players. And you spoke about the pay, or I'm sorry, you spoke about the food, but I wanted to ask you about the pay. Um, can you, do you mind telling us what pay is like in the minor leagues, you know, for different levels? Obviously, some guys get bigger bonuses, some guys get tiny bonuses, but after the bonuses are, are gone, what is the pay like for different levels of minor leaguers? Um, it is roughly what, 1200 a month, uh, before taxes, I want to say. So it's about, you know, 600 a paycheck. Um, is that, is that just during the season? That's just during the season. 
spring training, you're not paid. Um, I mean, they will. I mean, they will give you food in spring training. They'll pay like they'll give you breakfast, lunch, and dinner, or they'll give you like what, like twenty bucks for dinner. Um, but that's yeah, that's only for season. And then you gotta t- you gotta remember you gotta pay for rent, which a lot of these places aren't in. You know, like they're gonna charge you a good amount. Like they're a lot of, like they're in little like at the center of town. And so if I'm playing in Binghamton. The rent there, like the stadium's right in the middle of the city, and I don't have my car, being from California, because I don't want to spend what twelve hundred bucks to ship it out there. <laughs> and so I'm gonna have no car, so I'm gonna try and live closer to the field, and that rent jumps up. So you're talking what at least eight hundred a month. So that's half your paycheck, and then you gotta pay for clubhouse dues, which are ranging from eleven to fifteen a day. Um, based off which level you play at, um, and clubhouse dues, if no one knows what those are, that's um, laundry, pregame and postgame spread. Um, um, I think that's it. Should, should, they're just for the, like the clubhouse person to upkeep the 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 clubhouse and clean your clothes and give you food, which they're trying to make money too. So they're trying to make they're they're trying to spread that money out. So you a lot of the times you'll get like chicken nuggets or PB and J. So they're trying to pocket a lot of money, money uh, a lot of money. Um, so it's all uh, it's an interesting situation. So so when they're trying to cut teams, like I understand it, like I get it. They're trying to make the environment better for minor leaguers. And I think what they're saying by cutting teams is, hey, there has to be some take too. We're going to give you some, give you some more money, but we got to take some teams away in order to pay you more. But it's, it's tough. It's tough to hear. <clears throat> I live in. We talked about this before we started the podcast, but I live in a town where there's a double A team, and thinking about that team being taken away, whether or not the team here is, but went, you know, anywhere, anybody that lives in a minor league town. It's just sad to talk about, sad to hear about, because my own perspective is, number one, it's fun to go to. Uh, it's fun to go to minor league games. You know, they, they do a reasonably good job of providing some entertainment during the games. You know, watching a double-A team, you get, to guys, you get to see guys that are going to be in the big leagues in a year or two in a lot of, in a lot of scenarios, uh, you know, both guys on your own team and guys that are visiting. Um, but it's like it's ultra-affordable to go to a game. I also you know, I live a couple hours away from Pittsburgh. Uh, my my dad and I and uh, other family members try to go to pirate games throughout the year, but it's exp- it's it's so expensive to go to a game, and that's two hours away. You know, you're getting home at one o'clock in the morning, got to go to work the next day. You 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 know, I have little kids at home that very well may wake up in the middle of the night, and you know, there's there's a lot to it. The the double A team in town is 15 minutes away. It's so much cheaper to go. You get to see good baseball. The kids are entertained. Um, you know what's going on. Food is affordable, and it's just it's just sad that 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 affordable, high quality baseball is going to be taken away from a lot of people. Uh, to me, in, in a time when you're trying to, you need to grow the interest in the game because baseball is, you know, has fallen behind football and basketball. Mm-hmm. This, this it, to me is just a, it's a tough pill to swallow. Um, thinking about dropping minor league teams because I just I think minor league baseball is so good it's so good for the game it's so good for so many communities 
and it's just a real shame to know that that might be taken away from so many people. Um, and let me ask you this, this perspective, as a minor league player, former minor league player, how would you take it if you were still playing and you were fighting for a spot, you know, on a team and all of a sudden they're dropping, you know, 40 teams or whatever it's going to be, 40 teams times however many guys are on a roster. There's going to be a lot of guys without jobs this year. What do you think that that is like or, or what would you, what would your perspective be if you were still playing, you know, being a minor league guy knowing that so many guys are going to be without jobs next year? I I don't really know how I'd take that. It's just I guess it's that would be a, that would be an interesting uh you know topic to tackle or a situation to tackle if like that happened like just so you're basically saying if the team gets cut what thirty some players or they lose their jobs right I mean that's so how yeah that's how I, I understand it unless yeah. there's something that I'm, I'm missing just from reading everything it seems like there are you know whatever three or four coaches per team as well as thirty guys on a team or twenty five guys or whatever it is that are going to be without jobs and. Um, as well as the people that are going to miss out on being able to go and watch a good a good baseball game for a really affordable price. It's just, I don't know, it's, it's tough for me. I know that there are a lot of guys out there that aren't going to get opportunities that, that should have. And you know, mm-hmm. people might say, well, those guys weren't going to make it anyway. Well, well, maybe they wouldn't have, but maybe there's a guy out there that's, you know, even if a, a couple of guys had a shot and all of a sudden they find themselves without jobs, you know, to me that's just a, it, it's a, I don't know, it's a difficult thing. It's something I don't think is a very good thing for the game at a time when the major leagues should be trying to grow the interest because interest is waning in baseball. Yeah. No, yeah, I agree. It'd be, uh, it's, it's tough. It's not it's not a situation I would like either for, like, because I got a lot of friends still playing, and that would suck to just wake up one morning and see all of them got released just because they needed, you know, to cut teams and cut players yeah. And I would have to think that there will be some guys that are in, you know, single A or whatever that just aren't, they were, you know, 35th round picks that, that'll be, that'll be cut. But there will also probably be some 28, 29 year old guys that are sitting in triple A that mm-hmm. will also get the ax because well, they have to cut somebody. They're not going to cut the high prospects, you know, a guy that's in his second year, you know, at least you can dream on some things that he's, that he's, that he's done. But the guy that's 28, 29 years old, and I'll give you just an, this is a, probably a bad example because he's maybe um, uh, someone. I guess it's not maybe a great comparison, but a guy like Eric Kratz, who okay. didn't make his big league debut until he was 30 years old, and then has had a pretty decent major league career. You know, I, I just picture a guys a guys like him that are 28, 29, have never been in the big leagues and are fighting through the minor leagues trying to do anything they can, and, and they're going to find themselves without jobs. And that's the person that I picture that uh, this will be a tough thing for them. But anyway, um, <laughs> sorry to kind of go off on that tangent, but I think it's something that's, as someone that's been through it, you know, something that is it's worth talking about. Um, but I guess if it improves minor pay for guys, maybe maybe that's something something to that. So 1200 of, of 1200 a month. You know, was was it, what you started out. Does it get any better as you as you move up to like AAA, AA, AAA? Is the pay any better at those levels? It goes up maybe a hundred or two each level. AAA, it's a little different just because you know you're dealing with older guys that they either have if they have a little bit of a big league time um, and they've signed like a free agent contract, they they'll get paid a lot more. Um, so that's why that's why you see a lot of numbers that fluctuate about like oh, AAA. It's like for most guys that are on that initial six, seven-year contract, 
they're getting paid maybe I don't want to say above fifteen hundred a month. I don't. I want to say wow below that. But but yeah. So if you have any big league time though, that that free agent contract you sign after you get released or elect free agency, um, yeah, it'll jump up to you know like ten to twenty thousand a month. So that's that's a very big increase. But that's that's also if you've made it to the big leagues. Other than that, like just a minor league free agent contract without any big league time is still not a whole lot better. So, I mean, by the time when, when you were with the Mets, you had not been a free agent yet. You had not made it to the big leagues yet. And obviously you weren't in the, in AAA for that long. But when you got to AAA for the first time, it was still in the ballpark of 1500 a month. That's yes. like shockingly low. <laughs> yes. Shockingly yeah. low. And that was, uh, I was in Vegas, so we found a little bit of a, a decent place to stay, like way far away from the Strip when I was in AAA. Um, also, being on the West Coast, that helped because I had my car. <laughs> but, <laughs> I can imagine. Um, well, then, uh, just to kind of go back to your career, you you uh, became a two-way player with the Rangers. Um, just curious, were you, were you a, a potential draft out of Fullerton as an outfielder? You know, if, if like you had decided, if you had told teams, I wanted to hit, I want to hit, I don't want to pitch at the next level, do you, had, had you gotten any interest there or do you think you would have potentially been a draft out of, out of there as an outfielder? Um, I think I would have. Uh, I know I had a team like that told me they're interested in me being an outfielder. Um, I know a couple of teams said, what would you rather be drafted as? Um, but obviously I didn't get there, so I could just speculate as much as I want. I could say, oh, I could have been a, fifth rounder in the outfield but but it's uh it's all speculation but i know some teams were i guess interested in me playing outfield for them i think it's just a cool thing that you got a chance to play the outfit after that long most guys don't ever get that chance so you figured there was some draft interest there as a uh as a college outfielder but but i just wanted to wanted to see what the perspective is i think if there's a couple teams interested you probably would have had a shot there what was more fun for you um in co- we'll say in college, when you were good at both and you played both regularly, did you enjoy pitching or hitting more? I, I like to say whatever I was doing better at. <laughs> but uh, I, lo- I always loved hitting. Um, outfield, I feel like I still had, I still have a little pitcher in me. And when I say by, what I mean by that is I, I'll get lost sometimes on those like out of range balls and look bad a little bit. Um, but I had a couple of those last year. It was, it was kind of bad. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I really love hitting. I really love pitching, especially when I got further on in my career. I, I really felt that, um, which obviously made me, I thought, you know, the tribute to my success in 2017 was um, me having to break down hitters per swing. And, you know, before I – face them and you know the games previous to my start um and just trying to pick them apart playing that mental chess game i love that about starting pitching um trying to hold pitches back until like the fifth inning um if i could go that far obviously um depending on how they're seeing me that day but that's that's what i loved about pitching and hitting you know you got a little bit of it too but you're also swinging a bat and trying to hit a ball as hard as you could. So how, there's not much you could say negatively about that. Um, 
Could answer your question equally, like okay. equally. <laughs> Going through the minor leagues, um, you know, as a as someone that goes to watch minor league games, you're sometimes that's people that are that are interested in their big league club or whatever. They're they only look at prospects and just everybody in the minor leagues like like who they are on paper. They look at them as this as they are what their numbers are, and it's hard to figure. You know, I think people lose perspective that these are actual people that have actual families and that have actual things going on in their life besides what's happening on the field. Um, with yourself and with the guys that you played around, you know, how much was a was a factor, you know, as, as far as the success you were having just uh, with the things that were happening off the field? You know, for you, you, you were married when you were still playing. Um, you know, what was it, what's, just what's it like? Uh, what, what do people not know? about what minor leaguers go through as far as just having a personal life in addition to what's happening on the field. You know, what, what do people, the average person, what does the average person not know about that process and about how, how much that can affect what's happening to you on the field? Um, I think what a lot of people don't know, which is actually kind of surprising and alarming to me, is that we play pretty much every day. Um, we actually have less off days than the major league teams. Um, it's like maybe one, sometimes two a month. Um, and that's that's a big part of it right there and how much impact that has on your body, like how much time you have to talk to loved ones. Just And you're never in the same city for longer than a week. And you know, yet if you're you, – like you might have – you might be lucky and have two homestands, which turns into seven days or eight days. But other than that, it's like three on the road. Like, like I guess for an example, last year it was like four in Reno, three in Tacoma. Then we flew back to Nashville for four. Then like to New Orleans for three. Like, I don't think people understand that. And so when fans yell out things that I guess they don't understand, like how are you doing so bad? Well, maybe <laughs> that dude's got some stuff going on in his family. You know, like. Maybe he wasn't able to talk to his wife and his kids for like the night, the past two days because he's been on the road and traveling and been on the plane um, or at the field because some managers say, hey, don't be on your phone at the field while you're there from 2 to 11 sometimes, especially in the PCL, sometimes 12 because you got football football games going on. <laughs> We had one series, this is getting off topic, but there was one series where the score was four games. It was like 24 to 21. This was in Las Vegas. It was Fresno versus Las Vegas. The first game was 21 to 24. The second game was 26 to 22, I think. Third game was 1 to 0. But then the fourth game jumped up to 19 to 16. Wow. And that's just. That's a whole other – the PCL, the Pacific Coast League is a monster. Um, but anyway, circling back to what you had mentioned, um, perfect example is his buddy named – my buddy named Greg Peavy. The dude – we spent so many years together um, playing with each other. He's a pitcher. Um, he's in double A with me. And he always struggled. He had some struggles whenever he went to AAA. But this year in particular, he was throwing very well. Um, guy goes down to AAA. They call him out. We're in Binghamton. His family's driving from Washington to meet us up in 
Akron, Ohio, um, on the road. They're driving. So he's pumped. He gets a call um, late in the, like 4 a.m. or something. Says, hey, we got to get you on a plane. you got to make the bus start at uh, 1 p.m. in Fresno, Pacific time. <laughs> this is 4 a.m. Eastern time. Oh His family's going to meet him in Akron, Ohio, which we were about to bus to. He gets a call. Tell him, hey, you got to meet the team in Fresno. You're selling at 1 p.m. Pacific time. Immediately hops on a plane. I think he lands at, shoot, 10, 10 a.m. Pacific time. Jumps in the game. Obviously, his family's driving to Akron. They turn around to try and drive to Fresno. Um, so, they're, yeah, they're going to Akron, Ohio. They're trying to drive back to Fresno to meet him. Hopefully, the team stays there because it was the first game of, like, a game of a series of four makes the outing does really bad so that just adds on top of this whole family situation they send him back immediately his family basically does a big like circle in the middle of the u.s and then drives back to washington <laughs> while, while he's flying back to uh, being uh, akron ohio that's incredible. so i guess i guess the more of that story is you as a minor league player, you're always on the road. You're always moving around, and you don't ever know what the next thing is. You're never really told, hey, you're going to make a spot start. We're going to send you right back. It's, hey, you're going to make a spot start, fly across the country, and we don't really know if you're going to stay or not. <laughs> Tell your family but, just to be on hold. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The same guy was the poor guy because he's from Washington. We had spring training in Florida. His kid was his son was being born. Um, middle of spring training, they gave him, I think, two days to fly to Washington to see, you know, his kid and his wife uh, or his child, um, and then come back. But he had to be back within two days. Well, that flying time isn't factored in, so it was like what, like a day of flying time almost. <laughs> wow. He didn't see his family very much. That that kind of thing as a as a person that that left college baseball to be around family more, I just it's it's hard to imagine. It's just I know that the end the end game of making it you know being in the big leagues and the kind of money you can make there and just all you know if you really make it if you ultimately make it there's such a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Um, but I just stuff like that. To hear that stuff, Tyler is like, I don't know how guys do it. I, I really don't know. Especially the, you know, you can see how the the first round pick did it, you know, and how he goes through things. But mm-hmm. like the twenty fifth round pick, who's just freaking grinding and struggling, and and every, you know, nothing is easy. Like that kind of stuff is just, it's amazing what guys go through for <laughs> for twelve hundred dollars a month, six months out of the year. Um, it's just incredible. It's incredible what guys go through. And although you are playing a game and that part of it is fun sometimes, not all the time, it's mm-hmm. just incredible what guys go through, especially when you hear stories like that. Actually, yeah, yeah, uh, to elaborate on that. Yeah, it's fun when you're doing well, but when you're not, it's like you could also get released at any given time. So it's like that's an added stress right there. You could, like, if you, especially if you're not a high-end pick, 
Like I was very fortunate to be drafted in the fourth round and get a little bit of a cushion um, to help, you know, sustain me through the years. But the guys that signed for like nothing, um, I could only imagine what goes through their head. Like I had a lot of friends that, you know, they had a, a bad month and they're like, man, I'm going to get released. Like, and then, then what am I going to do? And, you know, it's like, so you get performance, travel, you don't get to talk to loved ones much. It's, it's a very tough situation. Yeah. Fans that I'm sure are like just really, really nice and cordial in all the OA cities. <laughs> yeah. So when you get those comments in the, <laughs> in the ninth inning with five people on the stands, send them down to, to Lowe, it really stings a little more. <laughs> all right, Tyler, I'm going to ask you a series of just quick questions. Um, all baseball related, not like some of the other questions that I know that people probably get from time to time, but all baseball related stuff, just kind of some quick questions, quick hitter questions, and I'm going to let you go. Um, to start off, who was as a, as a minor leaguer or a major leaguer, who was the best hitter that you ever pitched against? Hmm. I want to say it was, uh, TJ Rivera. He's my he's my, he's been my teammate for years, but in the Mets organization, whenever I faced him in spring training and whenever I was watching him and trying to break him down, I couldn't quite figure him out. Um, he always had a very good approach, and he was always changing each pitch. So, what level is he at right now? Do you know? He is. Uh, I think he just signed with the maybe the Phillies. I think he'd be in AAA, but okay. he's a guy who didn't sign for much. Also, I love his story. And, I, and he's an awesome dude. It's just he <laughs> never – he didn't sign for much. And he was one of those guys who wasn't very important, but he always hit three, 330 and up every single year. So he always hit, like, mid-300s, couple homers, but always, like, barreled balls every single bat, which is amazing considering, you know, the schedule and just – how low of a round pick he was. Like, he always came and he knew what to expect from him and never never really had a bad day. That's awesome. Those kind of guys tend to tend to stick around for at least a little while. Um, mm-hmm. As a hitter, and I know you hit occasionally as a pitcher, but as a hitter, who is the best pitcher that you ever got to hit against? Hmm. Well, it had to be last year, I guess. That's the only year. Dustin May was good last year. Um, yeah, I'll say Dustin May. Did you ever get to hit any against any big names? Like, I know you, you would get occasional at-bats in the minor leagues, and you were a starter. Um, did you ever face any big names when you're in the minor leagues as a as a pitcher, like not an everyday hitter, but when you did get at-bats? Um, yeah, oh, so I got uh, Zach Davies. Uh, oh, actually, I take that all back. Rich Hill was the toughest that that I ever had. That was a left on left, huh? Yeah, he threw me so many. He threw me a bunch of curveballs too, because probably the scouting report probably said I can hit a little bit somewhere <laughs> in there. So he was just like fastball, curveball, curveball. It was at least like two or three at bats, the same exact thing. I took no chance. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite stadium to play in? Again, minor league or major league? Just a stadium that you enjoyed going to as a player. Hands down, PNC. I'm a Pittsburgh fan, um, Pittsburgh guy, so I like that. Hands down, that skyline and right center is amazing. Um, 
obviously my debut was there, so that always that's that's an added level of uh you know um and uh and then the uh the bridge that you see in right center yeah come on you take that bridge yeah and you that's you take that bridge to walk to and from the hotel that's cool i thought that was super awesome yeah Yeah. really cool uh what was your favorite walk-up song as a player Ooh, i always had uh I always had running David Dallas, which is a not a too well known song. What made you pick that? But, uh, huh? What made you pick that? I don't know. I just had a good beat, and um, it worked as a hitter too because it had a little like good like build as I walked up to the plate. <laughs> Keep the offensive mind as I was pitching. <laughs> Where is your number fifty six jersey right now? Your Mets jersey. Um, it is in the closet. I'm trying to figure out a case <laughs> for that thing. Cool. How many gloves do you own right now? Oof. Ugh. Um, my, I myself probably have eight in my garage, and the amount that my parents have in their garage from my brother and I or myself probably in the 50s. <laughs> There's so many years we both played. <laughs> Who was the best manager that that you had uh, through your minor league career? So I really liked Luis Rojas, who just got the uh, New York Mets managing job. Yeah. And um, Bill Hasselman, who's with the Dodgers, not a manager anymore. Um, what level do you have? Triple yeah. A in Oklahoma City. Okay, with the Dodgers. So those two are probably my favorite for sure. Okay, very player oriented. You know, never like it was very just asky, honey. Like very personal and knew how to relate to certain situations that were going on on and off the field. Who was the first hitter that you faced in the major leagues? Do you remember? Um. Uh, was it? Who was it? Who was it? Not a lot of big names in Pittsburgh, so that might be part of the issue. <laughs> well, I know I hit McCutcheon right in the back. Like the first, I think it was him actually. <laughs> he was straight in the back, first pitch. First because pitch in the big balls, leagues, hit McCutcheon in the yeah. back. That's yeah, because those balls are so much smaller, like seam wise. So they're going to do a little bit different. And now, I mean, they they got smarter and they're using those in AAA. So guys are used to them while they you know get called up, but. In 17, it was two different, completely different balls um, from AAA to big leagues. So if you get on the side of it on accident, that thing, like, runs, like, 30 inches. Like, it just, it just shoots off way to the right. Um, yeah, I hit him square in the back. He stared me down. I was like, my bad. I'm, I'm new here. You know, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I can imagine you had a little bit of adrenaline pumping, too, at that time. Yeah, and that was... Uh, my first time relieving, believe it or not. First no time relieving was my debut in PNC um, in extra innings. And the whole place was still packed. And they're all chanting, chanting, let's go Bucks. And that was the most, that was, oh, that was 
brutal. I was so nervous that day. <laughs> People probably don't realize that either. Just everybody, you look so, all you guys look so calm and cool and collected making your big league debuts. And you see some guys that come in and just have really good debuts. And, and you know, just it seems like the nerves aren't there, but I'm sure they've got to be. Do you remember who your first big league strikeout was? Yes. Uh, it was Domingo Santana. And I remember that because I've also faced him a number of times in AAA the previous years. That's a good name. A couple, yeah. couple really good names. First hit by pitch, first strikeout. <laughs> uh, did you keep the ball when you struck out for your first uh, – well, your first, usually you keep the first pitch, but if you hit McCutcheon with that first pitch, did they, did they keep that ball? Did you get to keep that one? I don't, I don't think they gave me that one back. <laughs> <laughs> did you keep the ball uh, from when you struck out Santana? You have your first big league strikeout ball? I do, yes. I, have, I think I have three balls, one – Debut, first start, and first strikeout. Very cool. Last question: um, When you got called up, you spent you know spent a decent amount of time in the big leagues that that first year, uh, you know between shuttling back and forth. Any uh, major league guys from the Mets make an impression on you? You know, just take take a little bit extra time just to kind of make you feel welcome on the team. You know, in your time there. Um, so I knew a lot of them just over the years because I played with them and I saw. I saw them either shoot by me or just, you know, in, get injured, and I just spent some time with them. Um, hands down, I think Jacob Degrom was—he's made me feel very welcome um, when I got there. So I played with him a couple years, and um, I don't know—he's just always very nice to me. I want to maybe he thinks maybe he had some respect for me because I had to pay a little, maybe a little more attention. Um, to get guys out and res- I guess respected that aspect of what who I was on the mound um, but he paid for my tickets for my family so I guess people don't realize that either so when a guy gets when a guy's in the big leagues or gets called up at any point in time when you have family come in and you pay for tickets or you put tickets for them the player has to pay for the tax on the tickets so you can see how that's a problem when a guy who finally gets called up has a boatload of names for people that want to come and see him play. And you haven't got the paycheck that, yet. Yeah, and that <laughs> bill adds up really fast and gets really big. But, I mean, mine wasn't that big, and DeGrom took care of it immediately the first day. Um, and always, you know, he kept joke. He was always joke with me too, which we had done in the past, and that made me feel comfortable and made me realize that just the different atmosphere that we're playing is nothing else, nothing different. Very cool, Tyler Pill, everybody, uh, former major leaguer, a Cal State Fullerton grad, a fourth round draft pick, uh, made his debut with the Mets in 2017. Uh, Tyler, it's been awesome talking to you. It's just been fun to kind of learn your perspective and, and learn a little bit more about minor league life and kind of things that you go through. I've uh, got a great perspective. Um, I've really enjoyed the conversation and, and really very grateful for the time that you spent with Figured Out Baseball today. Yeah, thanks for, getting, uh, for having me. I always love talking, and, you know, I could just keep talking for days. But, yeah, it's been, it's been really a, a pleasure being on your uh, podcast. Besides the podcast, guys, if you'll check out uh, figuredoutbaseball.com, hundreds of videos from college and pro coaches, uh, trying to create an atmosphere, trying to create a website where uh, young players and coaches can go and learn anything they want to learn. And these podcasts are just something that we do 
uh, just because they're, they're popular. People like him. And, uh, you know, Tyler, this, this is a really good one. I appreciate your time again, and I uh, wish you the best of luck with whatever you end up doing. Um, best of luck to you and your family going forward. Thank you very much. Best of luck to uh, you and your family, too. Thank you.